It's good to be back with you again. I really hated missing last week um, and really excited about our study today. Uh, it's interesting as you study the Bible and you study through different books, there's passages that you would just kind of skip over pretty quick because they're small and, and maybe you think that means that they're insignificant. But um, as I was looking at James chapter 5 and verses 19 and 20, I felt like that was certainly a text that needed a little bit more attention. Uh, I think in our uh, church family even and throughout churches uh, that are throughout the world, there's sometimes a very subtle uh, drift, a silent drift uh, that somebody starts to move away from the warm uh, you know, embrace of a local church community to the shadows. Uh, and they move from core members to fringe, and then they move slowly from fringe to sp sporadic visitor, uh, and then eventually they disappear. Um, we know that all too well. We've, we've seen that uh, in our congregation. We've, we've experienced that maybe with close friends or relatives uh, in our own lives. And, and so people tend to drift away. People tend to wonder. Uh, and as we look at the last two verses of James, we see that he wants us to focus in on those individuals. Uh, he doesn't want us to forget about them. He wants us to think about them. You can just imagine um, you and uh, your friend are walking on a path through a dense, dark forest, and you've got this clearing up ahead, and you're so excited about the clearing, and you're moving, and your, your friend slows down. Maybe they tie their shoe, or they see something pretty, and you, you're just so focused, and you're, you're, you're driven. You're going to get to the clearing. You get there, only to realize your friend's not there with you. Something's happened to your friend. They've disappeared. Uh, they've, they've wandered from the path, and they have gotten entangled in thorns and, and thickets, and they're, they're lost, and they don't know where they're at, and it's dark, and they're scared. And there you are in the clearing that you so looked forward to, but it's not the same. And you, you contemplate going back or enjoying the clearing and trying to figure out what, what steps you would take and how you would go about finding your friend without yourself becoming lost. It's a scary kind of a situation that you're in. And that in, very, in, in many ways parallels to what we're looking at today and thinking about today. A brother or sister in Christ wonders from the truth what happened. Why did they wonder? How did they wonder? And what are we supposed to do about it? And how are we supposed to handle that and, and, and bring them back? That's something that, that I think is certainly worth our time and our consideration as we study God's Word together. Let's read the text that Neil just read again and get it uh, saturated in our minds. Verse 19 of James 5, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What does it mean to wonder from the truth? What does that mean? Why is he, he talking about this? Well, James's whole book we've been reading has been all about 
different trials and temptations that we engage in, that we experience as we live our life. And James has broken this all down to us in a very practical and digestible way to help us realize the dangers of just living in this world. We are in a wilderness, much like that scene that I just depicted uh, from you, for you. We are in this land that is treacherous. And we must pay careful attention to the way that we live and, and what we're doing because it's possible for us to wander away from what is true. Fortunately, there's a lot of uh, religious groups out there that say that that's not really possible. If you were truly saved, then you would never fall away. Uh, and and, and they, they kind of point to that. But what we know in Scripture is that there is a falling away. And James is warning about that. Notice he's saying if someone's wandering from the truth, their soul is on the verge of death. And you're bringing them back. So there is a very real danger of someone from among you, someone who is your brother or sister in Christ, wandering from the truth that they once knew and held on to and dying spiritually. So to wander from the truth according to what James is talking about means that we would willfully turn away from what we know is true. That we would know that this is the way we're supposed to live and this is how we're supposed to act and this is the, the activities we should be engaged in. And then saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. But instead, I'm going to do this. Now, if you've been a Christian for many years, you might look at that and say, how? How could anybody do that? And really, willfully turning away from the truth is not something that typically happens overnight. There are rare occasions, there are events that, that are so traumatic that maybe that does happen. That someone has betrayed their trust and now they're questioning everything and they're, they're done and they're, they're tired of, uh, they're confused, they don't know what to do and Satan's just attacked them with such a blow that they're willfully disobeying. But by and large, to wonder is pointing to this idea of drifting of a slow process of corroding the faith that is within us, the zeal within us. And so James is talking about someone who has allowed things to take hold, and those things have not let go. And they've continued to take hold, and they've continued to take hold more things, and it just builds and builds and builds to where you're weighed down and you're unable to, to continue and so, as a result of that, you choose to willfully turn away uh, because you've justified it in your mind or you've made some uh, multiple decisions that have entangled you to where it's harder for you to obey the truth than it is for you to turn away. And we choose the easier path. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? You know, some of us, are we've been faithful for so long and... Maybe we've never questioned anything and we've just had such a solid belief and a faith that we're, we're, we're seeing people do this and we're like, what has happened? How did they get there? I could never imagine being there. Well, there's some things, some factors that I think we need to understand that there's doubts that come up. As we live in the world, trying not to be of the world, 
as we engage in relationships and interact with people around us who disagree with us, there are going to be hard questions that we're going to have to face. And if we separate ourselves from everybody and we never interact with anybody, then we never have to face those questions. And so maybe doubt isn't a problem for us. But if we're in the muck and we're trying to help those who are struggling, we're going to be faced with some of those very difficult questions. And those doubts can creep in. And they could start to gnaw at us over time. And we could start to wonder about the, 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 the truth, the validity of this, this idea that I've given my life to. And doubt can turn into kind of a disillusion. Uh, uh, if it's just allowed to fester, it could lead to us silently, very subtly departing from what is true and turning to something else. We have to be careful about that because God does, he understands that there are doubts that are going to come in in our life if we're considering the truth and we're really wrestling with it and we're making changes to our belief system based on the new truths that we learn and we realize old truths that we've always learned are wrong. Uh, we're going to have to deal with that kind of stuff and wrestle with that kind of stuff. We have to be careful because those doubts, if they're allowed to just fester without being addressed, they can weigh on our hearts and our conscience as we try to do things that we don't really know if we should be doing. We can damage and sear our conscience. And another thing really sears our conscience, and that's the allure of sin. We're all enticed as we live in a world that is constantly pursuing sin. We're enticed to engage in sin. We want the, the feeling of discovering something new and something shiny and enjoyable and vibrant and the feelings and the emotions that go along with it. And those desires are within us. And it's like a siren's call saying, I know how you feel. I know what you really need. I know what would really satisfy those inner urges, those inner desires. And it's just pulling and pulling and pulling as we live in the world. That is, that is the situation as we're in the wilderness. We're, we're, we are very easily distracted people, aren't we? I mean, very easily distracted. There's all kinds of pretty shiny things around us that can just completely uh, steal our attention. And they're designed to do that. And sin can very easily do that. Pulling not just our attention, but our hearts away from God who loves us. And so, as we consider this, these two little verses, we need to understand that what he's talking about is something that is very real to, to, to enter into for all of us. A state of wondering. And maybe you're there right now. Or maybe you've been there in the past and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But we all need to address this and, and consider and understand the depths that people go to as they start to wander away from the truth. Because what James is going to tell us is it's our job to bring them back. So we need to understand, we need to see what they're going through. And if you've wondered and you've come back, God has equipped you and prepared you for this very task. And so I'm preaching to the choir here, you know these things. 
and maybe you hadn't considered some of them, and I hope that I can enlighten you and help you with some of that as we study and think about that, but it's all of our jobs to bring them back. So we need to understand how this happens. We need to understand the causes that are bringing about the, the, the wandering soul, and we need to think about how we can make a difference in their life. You see, whenever a Christian strays from the truth, what I tend to do, and maybe what you tend to do, is, like Keith said, looking at the external. And externally, what we see is, all of a sudden, this brother or sister has gone off the deep end. All of a sudden, they're in an adulterous relationship. All of a sudden, they're, they're disappeared from our, from our assemblies. All of a sudden, they're in a fight against another brother and saying all kinds of hateful and damaging things. They're all of a sudden gossiping and seeking to destroy somebody else. All of a sudden, these external symptoms reveal themselves. But those didn't, aren't where it started. It starts with something that's deeper. Whenever we, we wander from the truth, there's a number of things that are going on inside of us that are causing us to enter into that state of sinfulness. One of the things that could cause it is guilt. We feel guilty. We've committed a sin. We've done something we know is wrong. We are a follower of God. We love God. We want to go to heaven, but we've done this sin and we feel guilty about it. Or we're doing this sin. And we feel guilty about it. And that guilt is just weighing on us. And it's just so difficult for us to deal with. We're guilty. And eventually that, that weight gets kind of burdensome and, and tiring. And maybe we add to that weight as we think that we can forget about sin if we just engage in more sin. We'll just, we'll feel better if we just do this. And that doesn't help. That's why we're in this continual state because we're thinking if we do this, then we'll feel better finally. We'll get relief from the guilt that we feel because of the things that we've done. So someone might wonder, wonder, and wonder from the truth, grow increasingly distant from the truth because they feel guilty, because they have entered into some kind of sin. Or someone might feel shame. Now you think guilt, shame, those are pretty close, right? I mean, pretty much the same thing. But shame's a little different than guilt, isn't it? Shame is kind of pointing to the identity of the person. You know, it's, yeah, they're guilty about what they've done, but they're also very ashamed, like, of who they are. They feel in their identity that they're not worthy. They feel in their identity that they're not measuring up, that they're not to the standard, to the level of righteousness that is worthy of the grace of God, that is worthy of a relationship with God. And that feeling weighs them down. And they come to assemblies and they're surrounded by people who appear completely righteous and pure and good. And they don't feel like they fit into that. And so they feel shame every time they walk through the doors. And that shame separates them from others. It drives them away from relationships. Keeps them from growing close to one another because I'm not worthy. 
I know how they probably think about me, how they really feel about me. Or if they knew what I did, then they would feel this way or think this way about me. And so we instead choose to associate with the unrighteous in the world. And this wondering happens because we think, if I hang out with people that I know are less righteous than me, <laughs> then the feeling of shame will go away and I'll feel a little bit proud of myself. I feel as though I'm, I'm better than other people and I'm looking for that. I'm, I'm desiring that acceptance, that acknowledgement for my achievements and for the good things that I have done. And so they surround themselves by people who are not only in the world, but of the world. And then wondering, it becomes very easy. There's a clear path to being in a fallen state. As they see all these people who they're around, who they've grown to love and to adore and, and used to, as they see them engaging in all that sinful activity and, and them feeling good about themselves and being okay, they wish, they desire to be free from all the shame that they feel about what they've engaged in, about what we've engaged in. And so we just want that shame to go away. And so we, we, we interact with and connect with and we become of the world. Instead of just in the world, we become of the world. We are a part of this world. We love this world and we connect to the people of this world more than we connect to the body of Christ, more than we love Christ. And it's a slow process. And, and it requires many steps of justifying going astray and falling away from what God has wanted us to do. Or maybe you have been discouraged. You know, there's lots of things that discourage us in life. And people are probably at the top of the list. As we live around and work around and, and worship around people, we know that they're going to be imperfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to let us down. They're going to do things they shouldn't do. Uh, and perhaps they've got good reasons or justifications for it, but it doesn't change the way we feel whenever they've let us down, whenever we feel discouraged. And things happen in our lives. You know, God does not promise if you worship me and follow me, then your life's going to be perfect and good all the time. That's certainly not the message of Job which we're about to start studying on Sunday mornings. It's not the message of Job, that, uh, that, which his friends believe that, oh, well, if you were innocent, then God's going to bless you, and God's going to do all these good things for you. And Job's like, I am innocent. And God's not doing all these things for me. And so trials come at us from many different directions, and, and we are in the wilderness. We're not in the promised land yet. And so being a follower of Christ doesn't mean everything goes hunky-dory for you. Being a follower of Christ means living the life Christ lived, enduring the suffering Christ endured. Allowing yourself to be an outcast in your own hometown, being rejected by those who appear to be important to you. It's part of life. We can't do what the Israelites did and constantly want to go back to Egypt. We have to endure knowing the promised land is ahead of us. 
And that's our struggle. And that's a cause. That's a reason why we wonder. The discouragements of life are overwhelming. And sometimes we need to do like Jesus did. And we just need to get away. <laughs> and we need to go up on a mountaintop alone and pray. And, and get our hearts back right in the right focus. With the right understanding and recognition. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But all of these things are pulling us away. And as we think about guilt, shame, discouragement, we can see that there are underlying currents that make us susceptible to going astray. Okay? There are underlying currents. The person who wanders from the truth didn't want to. At one point, they were probably pretty adamant about their faith and their belief. They were zealous about it. Most new Christians are. But the wilderness is hard. And, and they themselves have fallen. And they've tripped multiple times. And perhaps people have kicked them when they're down. <laughs> and we need to understand what's happening in order to bring them back. Because that's what James tells us to do. He tells us to bring them back. And if you understand that the symptoms that you're seeing are not necessarily a showing of just outright obstinance and rebellion that you should just condemn and, and obviously get rid of the person. Like If you understand that there's, there's a deeper rooted issue, then maybe, just maybe, it's possible. As we think about bringing somebody back, we might think, well, that's just impossible. I don't, I don't think that would even be remotely possible. You think about particular people who have wandered away how do you bring them back? Well, is it possible? Well, James tells us to do it <laughs> and to rejoice with God whenever it happens. So obviously he believes it's possible. And so as we doubt our abilities, recognize James is pointing to us and saying, just go do it. Just go do it. Bring them back. So what's our game plan? How are we going to do this? How are we going to bring somebody back who's wandered away from the truth. Well, first of all, of course, you need to know those underlying currents that are going on in their lives. Maybe there's others besides guilt, shame, discouragement. That's what I can come up with. There's probably others, okay? But we need to figure out what those underlying currents are, don't we? It's not enough to address the symptom. We have to learn what the root problem is. What is the disease that has crept in? The deception that Satan has has given, fed to them, maybe over a long period of time that they have bought, hook, line, and sinker. We need to know what that is, and we, we're going to find that out only if we interact with them with patience, with humility, and with gentleness. That's the only way we're going to figure it out. Because they're not going to let us know what those things are. If I feel guilty... I'm going to hide my guilt. If I feel ashamed, I'm going to hide that. I'm not letting you know what's really going on inside of me. I'm going to give you a bunch of other symptoms that will make you maybe leave me alone. Or drive you away from me. I'm not going to open up until I know that you're going to be gentle with me. I'm not going to be vulnerable until I know you're not going to chop my head off. <laughs> And so whenever we approach the wanderer, first and foremost, we have, to, we have to approach them with humility and with gentleness and with patience. And that's exactly what Paul tells us to do in Galatians 6. To restore them with a spirit of gentleness. 
That's, that's who we're supposed to be. Gentle, compassionate, loving, patient. And also persistent. Our game plan is to be patient. Our game plan is also to be persistent. You know, we're not in it for the short term. We're in it for the long haul. And we're going to keep coming. And you're going to reject us. And you're going to steer us clear. And you're going to say no. And maybe we give you a break for a time. But we're coming back. Because the love of God is, is within us. We know he has persisted with us in our most stubborn moments. And he didn't give up on us. And so our game plan from the beginning, as we go for that wonder, has to be, I'm here for the long haul. I'm coming to save your soul, to help you get back on the right track. I know that there's something that has caused you to wonder, and I'm going to try to understand what that is. And whenever that, that conversation is broached, I'm going to be very tactful in the way that I discuss the truth whether it's some doctrinal confusion, a moral failure that they've had, or a personal hurt that they've experienced and discouragement, discouraging them, whatever it is that's going on in their lives, I've got to zip my mouth and consider carefully the things that I say in response. A wanderer is going to reveal to us deep, dark secrets if we're patient enough and persistent enough. And we need to prepare ourselves to hear those conversations, to have those conversations, and to reason with them in a very loving and tactful way, but also in a very direct, direct way, not just letting them continue, right? The goal is not to just hear and understand them, but the goal is to guide them in a very loving way, guide them in the path that they're supposed to go down. We're trying to bring them back to the path. We're trying to help them enter into the clearing and behold its beauty. We can share with them where we've been. We found our way to them. And we can share to them how to get back and help them understand the hope that is still available. The person who feels guilty for their sin has to know God is merciful. The person who is feeling shamed because they're unrighteous has to know we all struggle with that. And if we've given you the perception that we don't, then shame on us. You know, we, we all struggle with shame and, and we, we struggle with our past, with our failures. We realize those things are forgiven now, but we struggle with them and we're striving for perfection. We're striving for more and we're all at different levels on that. It takes time. To grow, We have to explain all of this in a loving and patient way to bring them back to the fold. But as you think about this, patience, we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we draw the line? You know, because the truth is, at some point, we're called to impose discipline. To the one who has fallen away, the one who has wandered and obstinately rebelled, there is a point at which we're admonished to discipline them. You know, being patient and loving and compassionate and understanding is, is the correct approach. Certainly to begin with, as, as you're trying to bring them back, but at some point there's an expectation from God that we would handle it in a way that's more direct and more to the point. 1 Corinthians 5 admonishes us to uh, withdraw 
and expel the wicked person. Now, that's a person who has taken his father's wife, you know, and slept with her and committed an egregious, immoral act, you know. Like, that's a pretty extreme uh, example of wickedness that they've just let go on and they've been patient with them. And what that really means is they've not confronted the sin. They've allowed the sin to go on and nobody's challenging or addressing it. And so what's that going to do? Well, little, little leavens, leavens a whole lump, what Paul says. That's just going to spread like gangrene and corrupt the whole church. So it has to be addressed. But that's not everybody, right? I mean, how many of you are engaged in extremely uh, immoral sexual behavior? And you're wondering, I mean, and, and how many of you have been treated like that? Oh, it's great. It's okay. You know, I, that's an extreme case. A lot of us who've wondered, we still, we still try to be good people, but we just have stopped caring about God. And so Matthew 18 gives us guidance for that. Matthew 18 shows us a process of escalating confrontation with someone who has sinned against us, specifically. Someone who sinned against us, we approach them, we tell them what they've done, and we explain to them why that's not okay. In a respectful, patient, loving, compassionate way, we try to help them see the truth. We try to guide them back. If they won't listen, we bring multiple people with us, two or three, and we, we approach them and we try to explain, and they still refuse to listen. We bring it before the whole church. And then if they refuse to listen... They refuse to change. He says, then withdraw. Let them be like a Gentile or a tax collector to you. Now, I don't like that idea of withdrawal, and hopefully you don't either. Maybe, you know, some of us are like, oh, I just wish that would happen already or something like that. You felt that way because you, you, they just, they've been so patient for so long about uh, this person who's just been such a thorn in your side as, as if there's anything like that here, but if that was at another congregation, that's been your experience. Well, the goal, the mission is restoration, right? Bring them back. Let them be forgiven, you know? You're saving their soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. The goal is restoration. The goal is forgiveness. The goal is comfort. The goal is love. And whenever we set that line of discipline, you know, that's going to have one of two effects. It's either going to wake them up because we're so connected to that person. We've shown so much love to them. And now we're saying, you're not a part of the family. It's going to wake them up or it's going to cause their hearts to turn completely solid stone in rebellion and rejection. And we're going to lose the ability to influence them in, in some way. And so hopefully we don't take that lightly. Hopefully we don't jump to withdrawal. Hopefully we don't jump to discipline, but that's a very thought out process for the wanderer with the goal of bringing them back and helping them understand the truth. And so we see here James telling us, if anybody wonders and a person brings them back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude 
of sins. That is a that is a beautiful text for us to consider and think about our reaching out to someone who's wondering. Now I want to take a few moments here at the end to understand success and failure in this. Because a lot of times, you know, we can be given direction to do something and then we try to do it and then we're like, well, was that okay? Or <laughs> was that bad? Did I do a good job? Did I do a bad job? Um, well, first of all, understand that our success in, in going out and reaching those who are wandering from us is not about bringing a ton of people into the building. And so if you can somehow manipulate or coerce somebody into coming uh, and, and, and you know, cause them to show up, that's not necessarily a success in bringing the wanderer back, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about having as many people in the building as possible. I know sometimes we can get that metric in our head and think that's the most important thing, but, you know, that's not the most important thing. There may be faithful people who have other obligations sometimes and they, they can't be here sometimes. That's, that's just the truth. But the real mission, the real success, is having a heart that goes from being focused on this world and themselves to being focused on God. And surrendering to God. That's the mission. That's what we care about. That's what God cares about. That's why he depicts him as a wanderer. As the prodigal son. And God's just sitting up there on that mountain. Looking and waiting for his return. Like a compassionate and loving father. Every day waiting for that prodigal son to come back. So that's, that's who God is, and that's what real success is. So whenever we see someone wondering, we need to see and understand, okay, there's a spiritual battle going on in their hearts. If we ourselves are wondering, there's a spiritual battle going on in our hearts. Satan is fighting to, to pull our hearts away from God, and we have to choose God over Satan and over this world. That's what's happening. And, and those brethren that are coming to us and trying to help us, as imperfect as they are, they know what's at stake. And they care about us enough to come and to try to help guide us back to the path. And our success as a, as a church is that we would have that focus of discipling the hearts of people to Christ. That's our focus. Focus in having a bunch of people in here. I'd love to fill this place up. I'd love for Wednesday nights to be as full as it is right now. Love it. Be excited about the conversations we could have in Bible class, okay? Uh, that's, that's just me. But the reality is we're not here to fill a building. We're here to be transformed, to being followers of Christ, to love God so much that every action we take outside of this building is devoted to God. And that's our mission as a body of Christ. And if we make that our focus and we don't stray from that focus, I think that we're being successful. And so our goal as we go out and as we connect with other people is just to plant seeds and to water them with loving care and recognize this. We succeed when we plant and water. Because whether or not they turn and obey, that's up to them. And God's the one who provides the increase. That's what he says. He's the one who is, who is confronting their heart and, and pulling at their heart and trying to help their heart to get back to him 
And he's using us and our words to accomplish that. As imperfect as our words may be, they can hit a mark as God uses them. Okay, so uh, think about your failure in all of this. No, some people are going to wander and stray. That's the way it is. We live in a world, we live in a wilderness where things are hard. That's going to happen. You yourself may wander and stray at some point in the future. I hope that never happens. And I hope you set your heart on God so much that it will never happen. Even if you're living in the world in the muck and the mire. But some of us will wander and stray. Don't be surprised by that. A few may even fall. Paul talks about uh, a companion of his loving this present world and departing. Even Paul wasn't able to keep all of those close to him from falling away. It's going to happen. Okay, And so, as we think about all those who have fallen around us, those not only who have wondered, but they've completely fallen away from us, we have to recognize that maybe we do have failures in that. Okay, Maybe we've said things we shouldn't have said. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We own those, okay? But we need to learn from them, and we need to grow. And we need to desire that no other person in this building will experience that failure on our part again. And that we will instead try to help them learn the truth in a compassionate and loving way as best we can. But ultimately, we recognize that failure, uh, in some ways, is on them. We don't own it all, okay? Even in our mistakes, even in our imperfectness, even in our discouraging things that we've said that have maybe driven them away, ultimately it's on them and the choices that they've made. The, the choice to accept or to reject the word of God is on them. And if they know what God's word says, then it doesn't matter what everybody else did wrong. They should be choosing to do what God wants them to do. Because God's promises are real and they're good and they're available for all. And that's the thing that we have to remind ourselves as we wander from the truth. The choice is on us. We can choose to rebel against God. He lets us do that. But we'll be the ones held accountable. We'll be the ones responsible. We can't point a finger at somebody else who made a mistake or who discouraged us. We can't justify some sins that we've fallen into and people failed to correct us or help us. Ultimately, if we know better, we should be making the right decisions in our own lives. But I don't want you to think, Okay, well, they've fallen away and that's on them, you know. James doesn't say, if anybody wonders from the truth, good riddance, you know. That's on them. They made that choice. It's all their fault. But no, he says, if you know the good thing to do and you fail to do it, you're sinning. Your failure is to not try to help them. We're here to love people. We're here to love people. Jesus did not come to condemn, but he came to seek and to save that which was lost. His mission is our mission. And if we're not living it out, then we're wondering. We're distracted by the cares of this world. And we need to come back to the focus on what God has given us the mission to do here on this earth. We've got to bring them back. If we don't bring them back, who will? I hope that this helps you and encourages you. These verses, to me, have been extremely helpful and encouraging and motivating 
to, to reach out to people who I've not talked to in a long time and just touch base with them and try to help them come back into the fold. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering. See this as Jesus' invitation to you. Come on back. You don't need to be feel guilty. I mean, that guilt and that shame that you're wearing, that discouragement, that weight that's on you, it doesn't have to stay on you. It can be taken off. It can be removed. We're not saved because we do all the right things. But we want to do all the right things because God saves us. As we approach life and we recognize all the failures and the shortcomings in our life, we should praise God all the more knowing that he's willing to forgive and to love a person as sinful as me. That opportunity is available to you. If you need to make your life right with God and you need to become a follower of his, please don't wait before it's eternally too late. Recognize your, your soul is on the verge of death. And make a change. Please come as we stand and as we stand.